Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. We're going to make jokes about it anyway, so if that's not for you, then jog on. Welcome to episode 19 of Slaughter. It's Lucy. And Emma. And we're just going to get the fuck on with it. Yeah, it's Lucy's turn to go first. I am doing Graham Young, and I really enjoyed researching this one. He is also known as the Teacup Poisoner. Ooh, I wonder who he stabbed. <laughs> who else was a teacup poisoner? Your mum? No, Marianne Cotton. Yeah. So, that's that's different, isn't it? That there's two British killers who are using tea as a murder weapon. Because if there's one thing you can be sure of in the UK, it's that people are going to drink tea. I'm going to say that's actually... I would think it would be more common... It would be the, it's the best weapon, because if you get to someone's house, they don't offer you tea, that is a personal slight. So he was born in Neasden, London, which has been mentioned in Private Eye, the satirical newspaper, as being one of the most boring places in London. A boring village. His mother died when he was only a few months old, so... So a bit of drama, at least. Yeah, someone's dying. Nothing dramatic. She... Just your mum's dead. (laughs) Pipe down about it. Just get, get over it. It's Neesden. We carry on here. He was sent by his father to live with his aunt and uncle, so Dad was like, meh, can't cope with this. Him and his sister. Uh, She didn't really bond with him, so he didn't have a great relationship with his aunt and uncle. Although there are multiple accounts where he did kind of want to stay there long term. His father remarried, and he basically went, well, I've got a woman here to help me out with this. So he's sent back for his kids to go and live with him. So they went back to the whole family unit. I don't know if it was a massive impact, his mother dying. I think we've seen it I before. I think it would impact you quite a lot. I mean, but it happens all the time. Not when you're little. If your mum dies, that's going to fuck you up. But he was only a few months old. Like, that's super... Oh, uh, he was a baby. I mean, I think it would have an impact on you, but it wouldn't be like... You're going to be a killer automatically. No. You're um, just going to be a little bit upset. We haven't solved it yet. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Okay. We haven't got to the bones of it yet. So Jung had a real interest in the Nazis, and he read a lot of books from a young age about the Nazis, so a real arsehole right from the start. He was really intelligent, and like incredibly intelligent, but... But not so clever that he realised racism's wrong. No. And very specific with his intelligence. He wasn't well-rounded, let's say. 
Like, he could do a lot of stuff, but he chose to focus on a specific area. Anti-Semitism. Well, a bit of that, and also chemistry. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because the two go together so well. He was given a chemistry set by his father and stepmother when he was young, and I bet they fucking regretted that later. He began to learn about antinomy, which is a poison. Um, It's a heavy metal, so it can be ground into powder and... um, put into food, put into drinks, and it doesn't have a strong taste. That would cause stomach upset, headaches, sickness, and then hair loss in men. Fuck. So that's why all these men are going bald. Just fucking antinomy in our food. Generations of antinomy. <laughs> Probably. At school, he was a loner. Uh, he didn't really have many friends. I think partly because he was clever, and partly because he was probably a bit of a dick. And You've got to work hard at that. When you're clever at school... You've got to develop a personality because they will pick on you. And that's why I make such awful jokes. <laughs> You've got to learn to respond pretty quick. You've got to be class clown or you're a geek. So he made one friend called Chris Williams. So him and little Chris used to hang out together all of the time. Why are we bringing Chris into this? So the Just way- let him live. Yeah, well, the way that he endorsed this friendship with Chris was he slipped antinomy into his sandwich. <laughs> if you survive, we're going to be friends. And then he kept notes on him. So he just jotted down whatever happened. So he was just keeping... That's his... brilliant. He's not even his friend. He's just observing him as a subject. Basically, yeah. He was... That's cold. That is brutal, That's isn't it? That's stone fucking cold. And this is such a young boy as well. They're at secondary school, year 11, year 12. Not year 11. That's like, like age 11. That's like the intellectual version of where I would balance rubbers on the head of the person in front and do as many as you could until they noticed. <laughs> Did that work? I could get about three. And what they mean? Depending on how thick their hair was. Yeah, okay. I'm not suggesting it as, like, an activity you do. you. <laughs> I, I hope not, because I'm bad enough as it is. Um, he told Williams that he could cure him from this illness that he'd developed um, and he gave him more antinomy. I'm finding this so hilarious because he's such a... But isn't it interesting because who is this kid? He's very creative. I mean, I don't know what he's watching or where he's got these ideas from but he's just... He's got his hands on this kind of thing that can be used as poison and I'll tell you how he got his hands on it um, shortly but... And then he just starts using everyone around him as a subject. He didn't feel guilt after his friend started getting ill. He was like, no, I'll just give him some more. It's like this sort of ludicrous scientist that could have potentially been a genius, but he just used it for evil, like the the evil scientist character. So uh, he started poisoning his parents. So he'd write down notes about them and about what happened. And they believed, they knew that they were being poisoned, but they thought it was accidental. So, for example, they thought he was using kitchen utensils like teacups and was um, accidentally leaving residue or, like, a spatula, and they would use it in their cooking. So they, they did like, blame him, but they didn't think like, he was doing it. It's our purpose. stupid fault for drinking out of teacups that he uses for chemistry. Like, we can't possibly blame the child if we drink the poison cups. <laughs> but what he did that was clever as well was he poisoned himself um, to show that it probably was the utensils and that he was accidentally... But he knew exactly <gasps> how much to give... He's an evil genius! Yeah, he knew exactly how much to give himself because he'd got these detailed records to say, well, if I have this much, then I'm only going to have this... 
So it'll be obvious, but I'm not going to get long-term effects. I can't hate him at this point because he's such a fucking poindexter. Yes, I mean, it's it's amazing. I, there are kids in my class that I feel are like this now. I definitely think that some of the kids are trying to poison me. I'm super paranoid after doing this podcast we now had, that we were, everyone's going to kill me. We were trying to... I told you we were filming a music video for World Book Day. Yeah. And for part of it, I went in a cupboard. The thing was, I was going to be in the cupboard reading and they were going to open the door to You've reveal me reading. You've got a cupboard in your room. I've got a cupboard in my room. Yeah. Love it. But I was like very careful which children I allowed to film this section because I know about ten of you are going to lock me in that cupboard and leave me for dead. <laughs> I've not been locked in my cupboard yet and I'm surprised. Graham Young, age 14, he read Agatha Christie. There's some more clues of the time period. Also a little bit racist. Um, he really liked the novel Pale Horse. Also a little bit racist. Um, where a character uses... Fuck you, Black Beauty! <laughs> yeah, Pale Horse all the way. That was his Is it mantra. just a, I don't know Pale Horse. Is it just the racist version of Black Beauty? She's like, how dare you write a book about a dark horse? <laughs> Pale only. That could really be taken out of context, couldn't it? Someone and I intend to. Nope. So a character uses thallium in that um, that novel to poison people, and he was kind of getting these ideas from elsewhere. Uh, he gave his sister tea one morning. She took one sip and then threw it away as it was so sour, and then she went to work. She was quite a bit older than him. And on the way to work, she began hallucinating. Fuck. Was taken to hospital, where they said she'd been poisoned. And again, he blamed the teacups that he was using to mix things in. So he'd kind of got this get out of jail free now. It's like, oh no, I used yeah. some kitchen. He's got the get out of jail free card once. After that, the rule is don't use the teacups for chemistry oh. anymore. Oh, I forgot and I accidentally did. So He'd better have been punished for this. Well, you'll see. It gets really super interesting. It's already super interesting, but it gets better. He's already fucking Moriarty at this point. <laughs> so Jung focused um, on the person that he disliked the most out of his family the one that physically wasn't part of his family, so his stepmother, I think he kind of thought, well, she's fair game then. And he gave her consistently small amounts of antinomony for over a year. It's I mean, like a Roald Dahl book, that, that every child wants to get revenge on their stepmothers, and he's fucking doing it. Yeah, it's and he's crazy. keeping the detailed record. She was constantly ill with stomach problems. She was sick all of the time. We've talked about a lot of awful people and I really, one of my pet hates is like labelling someone as evil because I always think this thing, like this circumstance and this thing that happened. But this kid is like, to be this yeah. age, it's so, it's, it's evil because it's so cold. I can't. And it's so clever as well. It's not even like, oh, I accidentally hit someone with a brick. I'm going to constantly yeah. keep her ill. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's cruel. It's so cruel. Cruel is the one, yeah. So cruel. on April 21st, 1962, Molly, his stepmother, was in agony in the garden, just writhing around Okay, in now pain. it's not fun anymore. No, it's, I mean, it's brutal. When the other family members arrived, Graham was standing there, standing over her, watching her. Jutting it down. Well, as if he was watching his experiment um, happening right in front of his eyes. So... Molly went to hospital. Um, the staff couldn't work out what was wrong with her. And Graham um, was like, well, maybe she had antinomony. Do you know what? Hold on to that thought for later on. She died that day. <gasps> yeah. Shit. The hospital blamed a collapsed bone in her spine. She'd had a car accident the year before and they just couldn't work out. And I think because it was an accumulation of small amounts and they didn't test for it. Although, I mean, they should have thought he's... 
They've been poisoned by him before, but they, I just, they just didn't think this could have killed someone. And they just completely blamed it on a car injury. So that, that's one person who's died now. Oh. Okay, so he was about age 12 at this time. He was super young. Super young. Graham showed absolutely no remorse. His father's liver was becoming damaged because he'd also been poisoning other family members. His sister was constantly ill. And I think some people thought it was the stress of losing the mother. Yeah, you would just push it off. Or just an ill family, biological. And I guess he was intelligent enough to kind of make himself ill periodically. But he began giving his father more antinomy. Um, I mean, the only person... This is the parent he has left in the world. I'm going to say, he's not that clever, because when he's dead... You're going to be starving. Yeah. Um, so although the poison was only for pharmacists, he was getting chemicals over this time by asking chemists, going in, putting on his puppy dog eyes, saying, I'm doing a school experiment. Um, can I get a little bit? And just getting accumulations of little bits. And then, can I get a little bit of poison, please? Yeah. And did. And there just weren't the regulations in terms of looking after it. Graham's father was rushed to the hospital with sickness and the doctors suspected poisoning this time. And they couldn't decide... Now, here's where I told you to hold that thought earlier. They couldn't decide if it was arsenic or antinomony. So Graham tried to help by telling them how to distinguish between the two types of poisoning. He just couldn't help himself. He was such a... I mean, I guess arrogant genius. Just really kind of... Yeah, he couldn't help his response. So his father's response to that was, get that boy away from me. Although I like to think it's probably been edited from, get that fucking little shit away from me. Because you, I mean, you would, wouldn't you? You'd just be, you'd kind of, I think everything would fall into line and be like, this kid's incredibly dangerous. Um, The chemistry teacher had also become suspicious around this time. It's his fault. (laughs) <laughs> because the chemistry teacher needs to become incredibly guilty <laughs> at this point well he wasn't murdering anyone he's probably been like yeah sure I can lend you a bit more poison oh you ran out okay another tiny bit let's do after school science club what would happen let's... if we put antinomony in people's tea yeah he's probably asking him he's probably coming up like Tom Riddle to Professor Slughorn every day being like oh so how much antinomony can I have to give them before they die ugh Basically... How um, do you make a horcrux? Fucking <laughs> hell. So, uh, the, the chemistry teacher was most suspicious because um, Graham Young was just terrible at every subject apart from chemistry, where he was pretty much university grade level. So, as I said, he was completely selective and he was spending all his time doing this all the process of chemistry, so he was really high level for that. They started investigating and... Graham started bragging about his knowledge, so he didn't even have the foresight to kind of be like, oh, I don't really know about that. He'd just say, yeah, I know, yeah, this, yeah, that. Um, He confessed to poisoning his sister, his dad, and his friend. When he was questioned... Oh, but the mum, but the stepmom, definitely not me. That was just teacups. Yeah. You're joking, and he got away with that. I poisoned this one, this one, this one. She'd been cremated. Definitely not the one that died. Yeah, she'd been cremated, so they couldn't prove anything. We can prove it in that he's admitted to poisoning every other one else in the house. Yeah, but not her. It was the bone. It was her bones. I suppose they weren't thinking it was suspicious, were her they? Her saggy neck bones. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't. Um, they couldn't say anything because she'd been cremated. All the evidence is gone. 
Jung actually, when he was questioned by police, had a pill of poison in his pocket, ready to take should he need it. Almost like Hitler. Age 14, at this point, mm -hmm. he was given 15 years at Broadmoor Hospital. He was found to be insane. He was the youngest person there since 1885, where they used to send everyone who had a sense of humour to Broadmoor. He was assessed for personality disorder and schizophrenia, so they decided that he had APD. He was able to read books in, was he? in Broadmoor. Oh, as in, like, he was allowed. He was intelligent enough to read books in Broadmoor. So he read a lot of cooking and chemistry books, which he had access to. He also put substances in the tea of other people who were in Broadmoor. Soon after he arrived, a patient called John Berridge died from cyanide poisoning. Young admitted to doing this. What? He said he made it. From, he doesn't even give a fuck. Made it from bushes on the property. He's proud of it, isn't he? he doesn't give a damn. He's like, look how amazing I am that I could make a poison out of what you're, you've got here. Like, that's the impression I got. Why else would you admit to that unless you wanted to show off about the fact that you were able to do it? Yeah. I didn't steal it from somewhere. I did this. Yeah. And they didn't believe him. They went, no, you didn't. No one can do that. Especially not you. Go learn how to read a book. And then, shortly after that, he kind of, I think it twigged in his brain that to get out of there and to murder more people... Stop poisoning! Stop poisoning people and stop admitting it to people. So, suddenly, he started to appear completely sane. He began to behave like a model prisoner. He was helping people out with, like, the lawsuits. I mean, he was just really intelligent and he was just being really supportive to other people. Mm -hmm. um, doctors believe he was making good progress. He was really young at this point. I mean, he went in at 14, yeah. so people felt sorry for him as I'm well. Say, even if he'd done the whole 15 years, he would be 29, right? Yeah. So. But people felt sorry for him, and they thought, now, he, like, suddenly he's a model prisoner. They thought, why is this young man in Wasting here? Wasting his life, yeah. Yeah, basically. So they were keen to get him out as soon as possible before he became institutionalised. And there was this idea that if you were in hospital for more than 10 years that's when you're institutionalised. So there's just this kind of acceptance. If of, I was in hospital for five, I think I'd be pretty messed up at that point. I've been on, um, like, a psych ward recently. Not, not like, me. I've been to a psych God, ward. God, I was like, how did you hide it from me? <laughs> I've been to a they psych ward. They let me ward. out for weekly podcasts. <laughs> Recently-ish. I, I don't think I'd last a few days. It was horrible. Like, a horrible experience, just being there for a couple of hours. Just Well, I've been in early years for about ten minutes before I lost my mind. <laughs> well, they, well, my that's three-year-olds for anyone that's not in education. So, he'd been in prison for nine years, and they thought, right, quick, get him out before ten years is in. And they kind of rushed him through. They said, we're going to do a trial. You can go and stay with your sister and your, her husband, and her baby, for yeah. a week. Um, so he wrote her a letter, and it was kind of famous. There's a line in the letter that people talked about a lot that said... Um, I don't kill babies, promise. Yeah, you're safe with me. But I would be interested to see how they reacted to poison, but I won't do it, promise. Your friendly neighbour Frankenstein will soon be at liberty. 
that's the line that kind of was repeated a lot afterwards. For fuck's sake, Graham. I know, right? But you've got an opportunity to get out. Someone's agreed to take you in. What's the one thing you don't do? Creep them the fuck out before you get there. Because Frankenstein's the doctor who made the monster, isn't it? Yes. I'd argue he kind of is the monster. He also told a nurse that when he gets out, he's going to kill one person every year um, that he's out. So he was pretty clear about his intentions. She had concerns. Did he wink afterwards and think that no one would believe it? Uh, oi, oi, love. Oh, when I get out, I'm obviously going to go murdering. Wink. wink oh, he's such a joker, Graham. Always threatening to kill people. Yeah, he's already done it. Yeah, he's done it plenty. This story can't be real. Did you dream this story? This is a real story. This is not a psychotic hallucination. Is Fred Dinage in the room right now? (laughs) Do you see him here? I wish I did. It never reached anyone important until afterwards, obviously. So, I I mean, I don't know if it was one of those, oh yeah, he said he was going to kill people when it all came out in the end. Or she did report it and everyone went, all right, love, go back to cleaning bedpans. So the rule is, I think, it should be if someone tells you they're going to murder people, then they probably might murder people. Yeah. He stayed with his sister and her husband and a child and nothing went wrong. Because he knew, if I'm going to get a week out um, and it's kind of like a test, then obviously he's going to have to behave. So he wanted to pass the test and he did. So in 1971, he was released from Broadmoor where he'd served um, nearly nine years and he was labelled as cured. And he got a job as a quartermaster in a laboratory because... He thought he could get his hands on chemicals from working in a lab. And it's not going to be any temptation because he's cured now. Yeah, basically they were like, this guy is safe as anyone who's never been convicted of a crime. Do you know what I heard recently? That if in Germany, I mean, this is secondhand information, so I might be completely wrong. Is this misinformation? Possibly. But all the German listeners can tell me if I'm right. Both of them. Do we have any? No. If you serve your time, then you are considered to be innocent so you can you don't they have, can't use your criminal record against you is they, what you're saying employers can't know your criminal record in his job he um thought he could get hold of thallium but it wasn't stored on site so he wasn't able to get hold of any of the thallium so he started to visit a london chemist and he basically would have lots of different stories about why he needed these chemicals but he would get hold of it they'd take pity on him and he was still quite young he was okay looking but he did look evil like, I'll put a photo on the Facebook group, but he—I mean—he looked. Did he have a monobrow? Um, he had like Dracula hair. <gasps> Did he have one of those little goatees? No, I think he was clean shaven. Even worse. He told his colleagues he was a failed chemist. Um, so they—you didn't fail at it. You did exactly what you intended to yeah. do. But I, the spin was that they wouldn't be surprised by his knowledge, even though he didn't have any qualifications and he couldn't work as a chemist. He was like, oh, I did the training and then I didn't pass or something like that. So no one really raised an eyebrow. And no one was told about that he was in Broadmoor, why he was in Broadmoor, any of his history. He also would tell all of his colleagues about how great the Nazis were all the time. And I think they just kind of went, yeah, okay, Graham. And then like, would go and bitch about him in the staff room, as you would. Do you know what Graham just said to me? He thought Hitler was fit. They, you just would, wouldn't you? Staff were taking time off in greater numbers um, because suddenly <laughs> he started making them cups of tea. Like, he's the little trolley dolly. 
bringing around the tea. Bob Eagle was sent to hospital with illnesses, so one of his colleagues, and doctors couldn't work out what was wrong with him. He was having time off work, he was hallucinating, he was violently ill, he had nightmares. Thallium also that he was using stays in soft tissues for a long time, so if you've been poisoned progressively, it doesn't come out of your system, like it's in there. And it's really difficult to recover. So he couldn't just kind of... Even though he was away from Graham, um, he wouldn't... He was still within him. He was still progressively being poisoned by his own body by this point. He died in hospital. And it was blamed on a disease of the immune system because they didn't know what it was. Now, I just can't <laughs> believe so this, guy. this is the worst bit, though. Jung went round to his widow's house... And had a conversation with her, said, I work with um, Bob, I'm his colleague, and then convinced her of the merits of cremating rather than burial. I mean, that is cold, isn't it? And then he spoke to his boss, told him how much he'd... I wonder what his argument was. He spent quite a lot of time with Bob, and he told him that he was really close to Bob and he wanted to go to the funeral with him and only one... Like, they couldn't let all the stuff off. Although they could have done, really. If someone's dead, if someone's like, let's died. make an effort. But they didn't. They let one person go. So he, he went with his boss to the funeral and just watched the evidence get burned. I mean, it, it's cold, it's cruel, and it's kind of genius. He has to take... He must be taking pleasure in all of these little details. Yeah, like he's getting his rocks off. Like, not that just it's killed him, but that the fact that he can speak to his widow and that he can go to the funeral, like... Yeah, it's so evil. Because it's genius. so brazen. Yeah. I mean, he... I mean, you'd probably be loving the fact that we're talking about him now, which... This is true. Let's stop. Goodbye. Colleagues were often ill. Uh, Fred Biggs, another colleague, became incredibly ill. And he also died. And Jung was still making all these notes about what was happening. So if you imagine, he's had a gap of nine years, or he killed one person in the hospital, but he's had a gap now of just behaving perfectly well for quite a long time he's straight back on the poisoning like he has Making got a one track time. time he's like this is what I'm doing with my life and this is I'm sticking to this plan those at his work believed it was a flu virus going round um, a doctor that people are just dying from yeah I, I mean I, they just didn't know what was going on they did call in a doctor so a doctor came in to investigate what was going on um, and again Young couldn't help himself he asked them, have you considered thallium poisoning? He just oh couldn't God. hold back. He just couldn't help himself. Uh, so suspicious, they were like, right, well, we'll investigate this bloke then. Um, found out his criminal record. And obviously, you'd be like, this guy's a poisoner. You are the fucking one. Job done. Searched his room. They found Nazi artefacts, uh, chemicals, and his diary. Where all He'd written all of his notes. So he'd sealed his own fate there i mean it was clear the body of biggs was tested because bob had been cremated um they found huge doses of thallium like probably a hundred times what would potentially be fatal but obviously it had been accumulated over time yeah he'd lasted a long time considering really so young was arrested and sentenced to life in prison um at who's he gonna poison in there i know right at court, he said he wanted to be a famous murderer and he wanted to be in Madame Tussauds. I mean, I don't think they've got any famous murderers in Madame Tussauds, have they? Yes. Have they? Not currently, but they did at the time. They made a waxwork of... Um, didn't, they, didn't they do a waxwork of uh, 
Mary Ann Cotton or Mary Piercy, one of the female murderesses we've done, they did a waxwork of and put her in there. They used to have a dungeon section where they had, um, where they just had murders and stuff. Not now. Yeah. Well, he was he was hell bent on getting in that section. Well, he's not really. I mean, I know we're talking about him now, but I haven't heard of him before. Yeah. So he's a bit. mm, Sounds good. I'd give you like a three out of ten on the famous murderer scale. Yeah. I'm surprised that people don't know him, though, because it's such an interesting story. Um, he ple- it's because people don't want to be frightened to drink tea. And you can't give people a, a complex about drinking tea in England because it's just... The whole country would come to a standstill. Yeah. Society will collapse. What are we going to do? Yeah. Just I mean, n- coffee? No. It's not happening. We don't even do Water. good coffee. Blech. Yeah, nothing cold. It's too freaking freezing. At court, though, even though he'd said he wanted to be a famous murderer, he pled not guilty, and he spoke of, he spoke at length on the stand. He basically oh, wanted wanted that, to defend he? himself. He talked to them for so long about how a virus could explain the deaths, so he went into loads of detail. The jury were also not allowed to be told about his previous conviction, which I find so surprising. But it was it was illegal then to use that in court. Because it was time spent, so it was almost like the German rule. Well, well, also, just because you could arrest any thief and say, well, he obviously did this other one, you're like, well, yeah, because he's always doing it. But now you can do that, you can bring it in, whereas then they couldn't say anything. And um, the prosecution said it was so tempting just to walk over to the jurors when they're having lunch and be like, by the way, do you know he's done this before? Because they knew that would get that would put him away. He claimed the diary was a fantasy novel. I mean, come on. The most boring novel. It's a fantasy novel made up of tables and charts. <laughs> oh my God, what the reason? Like, that happens to just directly depict the fate of my colleagues. Yeah. Coincidence. They uh, say right what you know. Yeah. The, I mean, the fact that um, poison was found in the body. I mean, it was just like, it was too much. So... And people, I mean, there was absolute outrage in the media. The fact that he'd been let out of Broadmoor, his history of poisoning had not been told to any employers, anyone around. It was a public scandal because it could. It was so preventable. If anyone had known, they would have been like, this guy's poisoning people, They'd come be on. Like, okay, you can have a job, but we're not going to drink a cup of tea made by you. You can't work in a lab. You can't make tea. And he was doing all of them. Road sweeper. Like, how's he going to poison people as a road sweeper? Give him that one. Uh, true. And so in 1972, the Poison Act made it more difficult for people to obtain poisons, and that was partly due to this case. So flirting didn't work anymore. Uh, you had to actually have some reason for the poison. Young was sent to Pankhurst, and he became big mates with Ian Brady, oh. who also loved Nazism, who we haven't done yet, but I think we should at some point. Most inmates avoided Young as they were too scared he'd poison them. People didn't sit with him at lunch. People didn't. Well, because he was just indiscriminate, too. wouldn't he? He'd kill anyone. Yeah, and he'd. I mean, you can get shit in prison, can't you? So he'd probably. You know, he, this was his passion. This was his love in life. There was um, a money broker wrote a book about Young. Uh, he was asked if he'd like to have gone and meet him, and he said no. I mean, he'd he'd spent ages writing this book about him, you'd think he'd want to go and interview him. He said no, because he may have had to have tea when he was there, and he wouldn't have liked to say no, so he's scared that you'd poison him. I think if there's ever a time when you can say no Class, to tea, yeah. it's when you go and have tea There's with no Graham way Brown. I could have refused! I know, it's so British, just, isn't it? I, I just, just say no! What would he have thought of me? 
I'll just have to be murdered. <laughs> yeah, right. While in prison, Young had been approached by cosmetic companies wanting him to help be the face of the brand. I mean, how desperate for science graduates were they that they'd ask a known poisoner to help with stuff people shove in their face? Like, imagine the lipstick. Lick your lips and you're dead. 1st of August 1992, Young was found dead aged 42, and he died of heart failure. Please say poisoning. Well, he died of heart failure, but a lot of people said that he was quite in good health, and that actually they think that either he'd been killed by prison officers, which I think unlikely... Or he'd committed suicide because he just got sick of kind of being in prison forever. So there's there's the potential that he killed himself and poisoned himself to death, but I don't think they bothered to look. So that's my murderer. I thought it was a good end. That was a good end. Well done. My murderer is Thomas Watt Hamilton. What? Hamilton. Thomas Watt Hamilton. So... On the 13th of March in 1996, 16 children and a teacher were murdered at Dunblane Primary School in Scotland. You've probably heard of it. I remember being a child, hearing the name Dunblane a lot. I didn't really know fully what had happened, but it was in the news all the time. Is it the first famous school shooting, really? Yeah, it was like our first really big one, especially in the UK. Um, So it was in Scotland here. And then Thomas Watt Hamilton did turn the gun on himself, leaving one of the most horrific massacres we'd seen and also denying us the opportunity to find out exactly what the fuck was going on inside his head at the time. Like, people just didn't understand why this had happened. So an inquiry was made by Lord Cullen, and so I went off and read the whole bastard report. (laughs) Obviously, this is a really horrendous crime, so I'm going to be focusing on the reasons why and looking at Thomas Watt Hamilton and I'm going to put as little time into the actual massacre of the children as possible. That sounds fair. So. I mean, that there's a line that we, we usually cross most of the lines, but I think dead children is probably not ever yeah, going to be that's funny. one I'm not going to really go into. Especially because I'm quite aware that was this to happen, I would be throwing myself in front of the kids. Yeah. I do. Anyway. So. Thomas Watt Hamilton, however, it was, like, because he'd not been on anyone... At the time, it was just such a shock. Like, there wasn't any threats or build-up or, from what they could make out, any reason why he would do it until they went into this investigation. So, he was born in Glasgow in May of 1952, which made him 43 at the time of the murder. And a friend that suggested this murder to me said, oh, that means that he wasn't even old enough to be my dad. Which I think is a really scary thought, not because he was so young, but the fact that there are people in their 40s who are not old enough to be my dad anymore. Yeah. Like, how old am I that I can look at an old man and say, you couldn't have been my dad? I find that horrid. I still take pride in that when I'm teaching kids, I kind of think I'm still not not quite old enough to be your parent. I'm old enough to be my pet. Yeah. But my head teacher is old enough to be my dad, so I take that one. Yeah, that's right. We're so old! Um, his parents were Thomas Watt and Agnes Hamilton, and they were only married for a very short time. But it's thought that his father left Agnes while she was pregnant with Thomas and is presuming to go off with another woman. So he never had a relationship with his dad. 
And when interviewed after the massacre, his dad said that he hadn't even known if he was alive or dead until he heard him on the news. Oh, like, there was great. literally no contact That's whatsoever. not a good way to find out your son's alive, is it? Well, he found out he was dead. Oh, oh yeah. That's even worse. And he said, his reasons were, he said, because I was focusing on my new family. Which I find really bizarre that someone can say, use children that you have as an excuse to ignore other children that you have. Like, if yeah. you're focused on having a family, you should be focused on you all of the children. Got, yeah. That's guess. the privilege of a man that you can spunk and run, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you can pretend that didn't happen. Yeah. Anyway. Um... <laughs> But, well, that's one thing. Like, ignorance is bliss when you've abandoned your kids. That's totally fine. Um, Until you see them on the news. Yeah, exactly. But you've got to be prepared for decades of psychologists that are going to blame you for him turning into a murderer. That's his, that's his comeuppance That's now. the risk that you're taking. Yeah. Like, just be aware, anyone who's thinking of abandoning their children... If they become a murderer, it, you might be to blame. Yeah. You're going to at least be blamed by a lot of people. Yeah. So anyway, his mother did struggle. She was obviously a single mother now. She was working as a chambermaid in hotels. And so she moved in with her parents. And they just did the classic 50s move of being like, well, if you're going to live with us, with this bastard, then we're going to have to adopt him. Because he's ours now. Yeah. We can't have this going on. We're going to have to pretend he's ours. Even though they were married when she had him, they just thought this is too too much of a scandal. I mean, how are they pulling that off to the neighbours? I think I don't know if they did want to cover it up. I think they just thought it would be a better life for him if he knew that he had a mum and a dad. Right. So they adopted Thomas and they told him that his natural mother was his sister. It's very standard of them. Right. Well, it's always a recipe for success, isn't it? That actually happened to my aunt. She was told that her mum was her sister. Is that your mum? No, my dad's sister. Oh. She fucking hated her for it. Never forgave her. Anyway, <laughs> that's incredibly sad. Not compared to this fucking story, though. Well, no. Um, so he eventually moved with his grandparents away from his mum to another part, mum's sister, to another part of Glasgow. It's thought that he performed well academically. There wasn't much incident when he was at school. He just got on. And as a teenager, his main hobbies were being a member of the Area Rifle Club and a member of the Boys Brigade. Now, if you don't aren't aware, there is obviously Scouts and Brownies are probably the most famous ones. There's also then Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade. I was a member of the Girls Brigade for about nine years. Really? Yeah. That is such an underground group. No one ever talked about the Girls Brigade. You heard of the Boys Brigade, but not the Girls Brigade. No, it sounds super 50s though, doesn't it? It is! Like, it's like the Scouts and Brownies, but there's a lot more Jesus like, and a lot the, less fun. Like, are they all toys made of wood? And all I can imagine well, is little pinafores and wood and... It's really military-based. So, like, when we would go on camp, like, the activities would be figure marching, a lot of inspections of your uniform, which involved hats, armbands. Like, it was really strict. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Perfect. And, like, we would get badges, but for really bullshit stuff. Like, so the boys did fun things, and the girls had to do things like home skills. So I remember getting a badge for setting the table for a dinner party. It was the thing you had to learn how to do. But... Turns out I don't have enough friends for a dinner party, so fuck you, Girls Brigade! I think I'm winning! (laughs) Isn't this, like, a warped sense of fun, though? You've spent all day at school, kids, getting told off by teachers. Go and get shouted at all evening by some people you don't even know. It was ridiculous. Like, people volunteering to do this and shout at kids. They are never... I hated my guide leaders. It was was quite strict. I mean, I I was already kicked out of brownies. I think it's why I went to this one. No way! And I would get in trouble all the time. I remember one of the leaders taking me into a small room and going... Hello? Yeah, and she was like, leaned into my face when she was massive. I think it must have been about eight. And she was like, Emma, sometimes people are so sharp, they cut themselves. And I was like, I'm just trying to be funny. (laughs) I don't even remember what I'd said, but that stuck with me. She was like, because everyone loved me for being funny. And she was like, no, you're a dick. I got absolutely bollocked at brownies because my Where's Wally book fell on the floor. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. Uphold your Where's Wally at all time. Anyway, <laughs> these hobbies would just stay with him all through his life to the point of obsession. He was like, I like guns. I like hanging out with boys. That's it. <laughs> okay. Done. So in 1973, he became the leader of the 24th Stirlingshire Troop of Boy Scouts. He'd been adventure- he moved on to be a venture scout and then was a leader. Um, So the checks were made for his suitability, and at this time he was in his 20s, so there was nothing untoward about his past to hold him back. He was in. He was very enthusiastic. He was a young man. They were like, brilliant, we'll have you with open arms. However, there were a number of complaints made about him whilst he was in charge, and the most serious ones were to do with the camps that he organised. So for a start... He wouldn't take all of the Boy Scouts on a camp. Just the fit ones? Yes! Real! <laughs> like, he would have his favourites that he would invite. You had to be invited onto his uh, camps. No, that shouldn't type. be allowed. And skinny, he didn't like them. No chubs. Chubby, as we'd find out later. So, 
The first camp that he organised resulted in Hamilton and the boys being forced to sleep together in his van. Um, His excuse was that he doubled booked the accommodation, so we'll just all have to huddle together in this van. And then he would be warned by the leaders, right, you've messed up this one time, you need to check that you've got accommodation now, this can't happen again. So the second time he went on a camp and he said that the van had broken down and forced them again to have to sleep in the van together and huddle together against the freezing temperatures. Look, force me to huddle once, shame on me. Force me to huddle twice. I don't know what my point is. But, like, it's bullshit he did it twice. Yeah, he obviously didn't care. He was like, no, I'm going to rub up against boys in a van. So it was later found that no booking for either camp had ever been made. It was a plan all along to do van huddle times. Yeah, I gathered that from what I said before. Oh, I thought, well, I was thinking like, oh, you know, maybe one of them. And then afterwards it was like, but he, from the beginning, he was like, I'm going to use this. So it's kind of like in a rom-com, I thought, like where you get two people and one of them breaks the lift on purpose. So they have to be stuck together and yeah. hope that one of them will be brave enough to shag in a lift. But what rom-com is this? <laughs> lift sex show. Well, they never shag in the lift, but... No. They still get a lot closer than I ever would to someone in the lift. Um, So both the county and the district commissioners for the Scouts agreed that Hamilton should be asked to resign. Yeah. Like, you had twice... No. I mean, I think he should be put in prison, but, you know... I mean, technically, he just slept... Like, there weren't... The children didn't make any accusations that he'd done anything, just that they'd had to sleep together and they were all in this van. So the county commissioner was Brian Fairgreave, And after he'd had to speak to him about it, he said, I formed the impression that he had a persecution complex, that he had delusions of grandeur, and that I felt his actions were almost paranoia. So in early 1974, so literally just a year later, um, this would be the year that he would find out he was adopted. I mean, there was a lot of shit going down in the 70s. So he found out he was adopted. Um, We introduced the three-day working week because the miners were on strike, economy was going to shit, and share divorce Sonny. I mean, it was just <laughs> terrible for everyone. Anyway, so he was just consumed with anger about everything that was going on in his life. And he started to write a lot of angry letters to people, and he demanded an inquiry into his dismissal from the scouts. Because um, he'd been on... He tried to become a scout leader at other troops but he'd been blacklisted completely and so after giving his defense of this inquiry he basically went well fine i don't want to be in the scouts anyway and he was quoted saying i do not want my good name to be part of this so-called organization he ripped off his neckerchief swung it on the floor well it seems like he really does this was now 1977 he spent three years campaigning to get back in the scouts to turn around and go well fine I don't want to be in it Mm, yes you really really do want to be in it he tore off his woggle is it a woggle it's definitely a woggle yes I was also in the scouts (laughs) you just like campaigned around a lot of them didn't you I would do anything I'd join them all Hamilton eventually decided, fine, if I'm never getting back in the Scouts, I'm going to have to set up my own boys' clubs. And these were consisted of a total of 15 different clubs for various periods of times throughout the 80s and 90s, all around his area in Scotland. 
and he would get permission to use school premises after school and run activities that were sports-based, so mostly gymnastics, also some air rifle shooting, swimming, football, that sort of stuff. And for ages 7 to 11, boys only. So he had this grade 5 certificate from the British Amateur Gymnastics Association, which allows you to teach. I mean, if you've... If you see a picture of him, he is, I think, where they got the idea of a paedophile from. Has he got glasses and a mark? Yes. Really? Yeah. Not even a joke. He's got a round little melon head and the glasses and the mark. Kind of like the hair that sticks over your forehead. No, he's got the one where it's bald on the top. Oh, God. Extra creepy. But he was also a qualified gymnast. (laughs) But it's a really shitty qualification. I love that it's grade five because it didn't qualify him to actually do anything. He needed adult supervision supervision from a qualified coach to be allowed to coach. Like he just jumped over like a little box and did that thing where you put your hands in the air. Yeah, that's it. Ta-da! Ta-da! He did the ribbon floor work. Yeah. But he rarely had supervision. He would always say, yeah, I'm going to have it. There's going to be other people involved. And there was rarely anyone else involved. So initially his clubs were really popular and would attract up to 70 pupils, but eventually it dwindled, so they had like less than 12 in. Because they all started getting touched up and thought, I'm not going to go there anymore. Well, yeah, it was mostly because of complaints about his behaviour. So it was things like he was said to be domineering, there was excessive shouting, he was really mean to the kids. He would be asking them to perform over strenuous activities for their age, like really pushing them and forcing them to do things. He would not have adult help. He had favourites that he would then pressure to get parental permission to come on a camp with him because he ran summer camps too. He would be eager to collect the boys from their home, come and pick them up to take them to the club. And the one of the worst bits, he had these black swimming trunks that were obligatory uniform for gymnastics and he provided them. He oh. brought his own little banana hammocks... <laughs> For the kids to wear. And then that presumably he took them away with him and, like, kept them. And oh, he was said... But you get the same pair every time as well. Who knows? I doubt he was that organised. But he wouldn't let them get put these swimming trunks on in the changing rooms. He would make them get changed in the gym <gasps> while he watched. No. Uh, so he his claims, like, when they, when they complained about it, he would just say, well... The parents are sending unsuitable clothes. They need to be able to move freely. This is what they need to have. And I, as an expert, know. And so, obviously, parents kept sending their kids. Be like, oh, yeah, okay. No! If someone's saying your child needs to get changed in front of them, don't send your children there. Words of advice. He also took photographs of the children, not naked, but he made them pose, take deep breaths, flex, um... And he said that these would be... So when parents asked about this, like, why are you taking pictures of the kids? He said, well, you can... They'll be available if you request them. Like, <laughs> you can see them too. If you want a copy. No, that's not why I'm asking. Yeah, he would even do videos of them as well. And so some parents did ask for a copy of them. But then when they watched them, they said it was lingering shots on certain parts of the body. So naked torsos, like, below the waist... I think it's like in Love Actually yeah, where say that. she watches her wedding video and exactly it's, the it's all of me. It's just me. That's Fuck you, Kira Knightley, you're annoying. When he did it in Love Actually, it was like, oh, it's kind of romantic. But when Thomas Hamilton does it, oh, suddenly it's not love anymore. I look quite pretty, actually. 
I looked quite muscly, actually. No. That's fucking hate Kevin I know. Um, so he had no shame about it. He would hang the pictures of the boys in their trunks on his living room walls, and people commented that you could walk past his house and look in his room and just see it adorned with semi-naked <sighs> children. And, but when police investigated and came to his house and looked at the pictures... They're like, well, technically they're not naked, so we can't count it as child porn, so it's I, fine. They should change the rules so you can arrest people for being creepy. Like, that this is the thing, the resounding theme running through this is that he was creepy. Yeah, that should be a crime. It's tricky, though, because you can be creepy for it, but the evidence has to be there. Um, but people who are creepy usually are up to no good. If there's anything that literature has taught us, it's creepy people... Either suck your blood or murder you. Or take pictures of you in trunks. Yeah. Well, one of the people interviewed after the massacre too, one of his neighbours said that he was like a loner, he was shy, he was quiet, and that he literally crept about. Like he was the definition of creepy. She was like he would creep about with his head down when he walked. Like just slinking through town. And local... Shops where they developed photographs eventually, after years of this, would refused to develop his pictures and he had to find new places because they're like, this is wrong. Yes. Um, so when the parents would withdraw their children, which obviously happened on occasion, he would then start harassing them. He would write long, angry letters that he would hand-deliver at night to their house and stated that, oh, there's rumours about me, like, all these rumours and innuendo about my sexuality, you need to stick together, we've got to stamp it out. Every time you withdraw a kid, you're facing these rumours. And basically, he was like, everyone says I'm a pedo, so let me look at your kid naked, and I'll prove that I'm not. See, no hard on, is basically what he was doing. Oh, God. Like, it's ridiculous. He he was definitely, his line of defence was attack. If someone said anything against him that was it he attacked 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 he didn't just take it quietly and think yes actually i am a pedo i should keep a low profile he went hard oh. so that's not a euphemism <laughs> <laughs> the cullen report doesn't use any of the evidence of him being involved in paedophilic activity but since then there's been many other sources that have come forward and said that things have happened but is this Jimmy Savile all over again? Well, not as many. Like, a lot of people then have refused to go on record, partly to, because you don't necessarily want to give your name and be associated with it. Yeah. But um, lots of people said there's sexual assaults at the summer camps. I also read a book called True Crime, Mass Murderers by Ryan White, and he mentions some things that happened, but also that some of the people that made these claims where their testimony has just been disregarded because they've either sold stories, changed stories, and sold them to more than one paper and changed the story across newspapers. And then also one guy who was the main one saying that he'd been sexually assaulted was then imprisoned for crimes of dishonesty, which who knows what they are. But in Scotland, they don't like liars. If you can put a liar in prison, you should be able to put a creep in. (laughs) In (laughs) Yeah, you fucking should, I agree. True. But I don't think we should put either in prison. In 1981, he first applied to let the gym of a school in Dunblane, um, Dunblane High School, and set up the club, the Dunblane Rovers. Which is, I don't know, catchy name. It's like Ramblers, but... Well, apparently this name was... The name Rovers is a name that had been used by the early scouts. 
And so it had like it led people to believe that he was affiliated with them. So many parents then began complaining that there was a lack of supervision and they had been confused and led to believe that he was endorsed by scouts because of the name Rovers and he wasn't. Was it just him running the club? Yeah. Him and the load of kids? Yeah. So in 1983, the Further Education and General Purposes Committee cancelled his letter of Dunblane and Bannockburn High Schools and he was told, you're not allowed to come to Dunblane anymore, but he wasn't told why, they didn't say why because of this. So Hamilton, of course, didn't take this lying down and he started writing letters to officials. He collected signatures and did petitions and got statements from parents that did support him. And in 1984, it was found that the decision was actually unfair because there wasn't adequate evidence and he hadn't been able to respond to the accusations. And so he was reinstated with his boys club in 1985. Back to it. He continued to campaign against what he saw as victimisation from the authorities and he met with Fairgreave, the commissioner that had made him, fired him from the scouts and said that the malicious malicious rumours that he was putting out were ruining his life and so he contacted other senior officials in the scout movement to complain about his unfair treatment. He then wrote a resignation letter and backdated it, saying that I wasn't fired for this, look, I've resigned. And basically, so this was now 10 years later, and he was still going after the scout leaders from that time and still insisting that this was wrong. Which, if you're innocent, you would do. Yeah. But when you're taking pictures of naked boys and forcing them to wear your homemade Speedos... Yeah, I mean, you've not got a leg to stand on. So in nine, his the thing with Hamilton, though, is it was just enough to be unsettling, not enough to be decent evidence. Yeah. So in 1998, he was running, became the major complaints about his camps because he would run his after-school clubs in school time. This was his job. This was his main source of income. Who's paying? Are they just paying, like... They would have to pay. They paid, like... Yeah, they would ha- well, because it was olden days, you would have to pay like 20p, 30p, and then he increased it to £1, £1.50. Does that include biscuits halfway through? I think it includes the swimming trunks and a whipping, as some people claimed. So, in 1988, he ran one of his summer camps in Loch Lomond, and after several complaints from boys that returned home, the Strathclyde police actually went to visit the island. It was in the middle of the lock, this island. I mean, how bad is this that the police are like, yeah, we're going to check out this summer camp? Yeah. Um, so they arrived and they saw that it was messy. There were dirty dishes around. Sleeping bags were wet to the touch. They weren't drying out properly. The children were being told that they weren't allowed to wear trousers They oh. because if they got wet, legs dried faster than trousers did. So they just were running around in their underwear. And it was also said that he'd slapped two boys in the face. But Hamilton said, well, yeah, I did slap them in the face, but they were being cheeky and bullying others. And the police were like, all right then. I didn't think you were allowed to slap kids in 1988. I was born then. You could slap a kid. That's totally okay. They let the camp carry on. You could slap your own kid. I don't know if you could slap another person's kid. Slap kids at a holiday camp. Don't think so. So anyway, they determined that the camp was basic and pretty shitty, but it's not breaking any laws. And I the mean, kids, yeah, but you'd want to tell the parents, like, take, go get your kid. They were like, it's a crap camp, but they're not in immediate danger. Like, if you want to send your kids here, fine, but it's not. 
it's not causing any like criminal charges. I wonder if there were laws on um, like staff ratios then. And well, obviously not because he was on his own. He would have there weren't many. So there were about thirteen boys, but at a camp it just seems a lot. So there were further investigations in August of the with boys because there were huge discrepancies between stories, so it's impossible to charge him where some boys would say, yes, he would slap us all the time, but then they would say that he beat up Max, and then when they spoke to Max, he'd be like, he didn't do anything to me, he beat up John, and John would be like, I didn't see anything. And so some of the boys were making really grand accusations, but they couldn't tie anyone down to his story, so nothing came of it. Hamilton, meanwhile began to write complaints against the police officer that came and investigated the camp. Even though their report determined that he couldn't be charged, he still wasn't happy that they'd said anything about it. So he turned up at the station to ask to talk to him and refused to leave until they threatened him with arrest. He was just like a dog with a bone. He wouldn't let it go. His belief was that the camp was only being investigated because of the long resentment from the adult members of the Dunblane Scouts. So he then began to become fixated on this belief that the Scouts and the police had a brotherhood against him. Do you think he was just completely deluded? It seemed like this one, at first it seemed like always perfect normal, but then he became more and more obsessed with the idea that the Scouts and the police were working together to tear him down. Yeah. Which isn't great. Um, in May 1989, a Mrs. Doreen Haggart attended the camp to check on her boy because she'd heard not good, great things. Good, good work. And then sort she sort of said, like, right, you're obviously not coping very well here. I'll stay on and help you well and sort out. So she did assist at the camp. And while she was there, she heard stories about how he would ask the boys to run suntan cream on him while he was naked. And but again, she didn't see it. She just heard it secondhand from the boys, and no one really believes the boys for saying this stuff. I don't know. I'd be like alarm bells for any of the parents. This is fucked up. Well, it did cause alarm bells. So Doreen was like, "We've got to do something." The police keep saying there's not enough evidence, so she set up a sting. She decided. I what, like Doreen. Yeah, she decided what she was going to do was she was going to assault him, assault Hamilton oh. outside a boys' club meeting. This is a. Weird sting. I'm going to assault him and get myself in trouble. Because they've tried complaining to the police about him. They said nothing. So she yeah. thought, if I assault him and get arrested, they'll have to investigate the situation. Okay. And then the truth will She's come out. She's a real martyr. But she even invited the press down. She invited photographers to photograph the incident so there's <laughs> proof of what had happened. <laughs> I'm going to punch a guy. Come and film yeah. it. But Brilliant. Hamilton, on this point, made no complaint. He <sighs> took it was very polite to her and then didn't write any angry letters, didn't do anything about it. He knew that she was onto him. So, basically, this that was the 80s. The 90s carried on. It was all black swimming trunks and photographs and complaints made, like, forever, ad infinitum. Um, But Hamilton's hobby for guns that we mentioned earlier... was had also continued through his adult life and he was now a member of several area rifle clubs and like I said in did rifle lessons with the boys and he now had a collection of guns including handguns semi-automatic machine guns and he would sometimes take guns to the houses of the boys when he was picking up and show them off to the parents and pe- I mean it's weird isn't it because I bet probably there's quite a few people who've got stories like 
oh remember that weird scoutmaster we had he used to teach us how to shoot and used to wear, make us wear those weird trunks I bet there's loads of those stories where that was the end of it and people now reminisce with their friends about creepy old McGee well apparently the kids nicknamed him Mr Creepy like they were just like oh he's a weirdo but we want to run around I'm, I mean I always teaching kids who are like oh I had a teacher that did this and that's nowadays and you think that's pretty weird but it's never like something awful otherwise obviously I'd report it it's just something slightly odd we had a teacher that when we went on a school trip to France when he would count us do head count to count us onto the bus he would tap each boy on the head as they got on the bus and tap each girl on the bum yeah see that's that's the kind of thing, and at the time you're like, oh, lol, isn't he such a weirdo? You don't realise as a kid how wrong it is. Is that from the school I went to as well? Yep. Oh. I'll tell you who he is later. Um, but so the, peop- the parents that had these guns come to their houses, they all said like we were uneasy about it, but he had a good knowledge of it, and he was showing that he'd used a lot of safety precautions, so we thought, meh. Yeah. So... After one of the, an officer had visited a camp, he actually logged a recommendation that Hamilton should be considered for removal of his firearms. He was like, this character is an oddbod, he shouldn't be allowed to have guns. But again, there'd been no incident involving a gun, and he had, his, he had certificates and he had licences, so they said... Mm. Creepy's not a crime. Um, later, in 1996, so we're getting closer to the event... Doreen Hager had another incident that she recalled after, saying that she was walking down the street and he pulled up in... What kind of car would a pedo have? Robin Reliant. It was a transit van, but... And, so that should have been a sign. So, but apparently he pulled up while they were walking. Is it a white van? It said light-coloured. Yeah. <laughs> and he basically said to her, why are you making... Have you been making complaints about me? She said, yes, I fucking have. And so he held a gun up to the window oh. and said, my friends don't like it. Holy shit. To which Doreen went, did he point that fucking thing at me? Yes, Doreen. And my <laughs> like, friend. She didn't get her friend Vicky or no, oh, his friend, friend. Oh, his friend's the guns he was talking about. Oh, right. He's but she didn't, like, didn't even blink. Good job on Did he point that fucking thing at me? Like, in the face of a gun. I fucking love Doreen. Hard as nails. Um, she said that the police were called and... They later came back to her and said, oh, he was on his way to his rifle club and he'd meant to just scare you. He wasn't actually going well, to shoot right, you. Yeah. But then the Cullen report then goes on to say that this was also discounted because that they couldn't find any police records of this event happening and that do- and there was all sorts of other situations surrounding why they didn't... And there was a chance for her friend, she was with Vicky, to give testimony, but she refused. She would only give a written statement. She wouldn't come to court. The thing is, it's one of those situations where the police fuck up, but I guess... Burn the evidence! That's, yeah, that's what's happening a lot. But I guess that's because they're they're the stories that we're hearing of. The ones where they didn't fuck up are the ones where they actually caught the bastard. I mean, you could, if he was really, really, really cynical about the police, say that once he'd committed the shooting, they were like, shit, we knew he was weird with guns, burn those reports yeah. where we investigated it and did nothing because it doesn't look great if the police knew he was threatening someone with a gun and then mu- six months later he shot a load of kids yeah it makes you look a twat doesn't it but I don't know it was discounted so during the build up because remember it happened in March so it wasn't far into 1996 so we're in 1996 now his acquaintances commented that his conversations had become completely one way he was by this point anti-police, 
anti-educational authority, anti-establishment. He just thought everyone's out to get him. They're constantly trying to stop me showing my boys the attention they deserve. Everyone keeps saying I'm a pervert. It's not good. He was, again, completely convinced that the police and the scouts were working together to persecute him. And he began aggressively defending his methods to parents who withdrew their kids. He was still... Um, on 1906, the attendance of clubs was massively under decline, but he was still planning for a camp that August, which possibly suggests that he wasn't totally planning to do what he did. But despite this, he still continued to circulate letters to any parents, schools, everyone, talking about the fact that his he resigned from the Scouts and wasn't fired, and that don't believe the rumours that you're hearing. It's now nearly 20 years... Yeah, Over 20 that. years ago. Move on. All you're doing is reminding people. But he's obviously hyping himself up. He's, he's repress well, not repressing us, but he's storing this all up. And it's obviously a, a horrific situation. It's going to come out in the most horrific way we can imagine. Mm. Well, that's the thing. Like, he wasn't showing... There wasn't one catalyst event that made him snap. Yeah. It's just all these little things that they're trying to unpick. So whether there was one event that they haven't uncovered, we don't really know. But his firearm certificate didn't contain a record of any ammunition purchase between 1987 and 1985. So it's odd when in February of 1996, he purchased 1,700 rounds of 9mm and 500 rounds of um, ammunition for a .357, whatever it means. and in 1995, he also at the end, he also purchased a revolver that he would take into the school later. So he was, if he'd never bought any bullets for like 15 years, and then suddenly a month before this, he's suddenly buying up a load of. Sh- I mean, that should flag up an alarm somewhere. If you go into a shop and buy 1,700 bullets, yeah, it's like you can't buy three packets of paracetamol, but you can buy 1,700 bullets. I mean, we'll, I'll talk about later how this event was one of the big things that sparked the gun control in England because of things like this. So you can't do these things now. Um, Mr. R.P.C. Alston was a photographer who regularly spoke with Hamilton on the phone. They'd never met in real life, but they discussed photography things because, obviously, if he's going to photograph these children half-naked, he's going to do it properly. He wants to get all the focus in the right places. Exactly. And he said that the month before the massacre, he recalled that Hamilton was subdued... And he said that he was going out shooting more to take his mind off his problems. And then a week before the event, he had his final conversation with him. And the very last words he said were, I'm going back to my guns. They were just his, they were his friends. They were his only solace at this point. He then wrote a final series of letters that he distributed to many primary schools, including Dunblane, complaining that pupils and staff were being told he was a pervert and to stay away from him, which they were. And he maintained that he mentioned that Dunblane as being a place where the boys had been contaminated with this poison, which was making him unable to earn a living. Which is true, like, you would. If you got... In our school, if we heard someone wants to come and make a club just for boys where they're going to have to be half-naked, oh, by the way, he was dismissed from the Scouts 20 years ago for indecent actions against boys. There's not a chance. They wouldn't even get in the door. No. They're not allowed on the premises. In fact, you'd be watching it and saying, don't let this person Like, you did a big fuck-up. You'd be actively like, no chance. Like, get a new hobby now. Like, you fucked up badly. If Maybe you were innocent, as you claim. If that's so, get a life and do something else because you've had your chance with kids now. 
Yeah, it's like when you audition for The X Factor and then you try again three years later. They said no, move on. Although it's a million times worse than that. So, he made one last-ditch attempt to straighten things out. His final, last resort. Who are you going to write a letter to when the scouts and the police are out to get you? Who are you going to call? I don't know. The Queen of England! Oh. So he wrote to good old Lizzie Windsor. She's going to sort it out. His reasoning was that she's the patron of the Scouts organisation. And if the... If <laughs> the she's heavily involved in all that shit. <laughs> yeah, and if the leaders won't listen to me, then I'll have to go right to the top. I mean, she's fixing the woggles left, right and centre, isn't she? I mean, apparently the letter just listed all of his well-rehearsed grievances that has been going on for 27 years or whatever. Oh, God, I bet that was some depressing reading. And he appealed to her for intervention. He also sent copies of the letter he sent to the Queen... I bet he rewrote it as well. I bet he didn't copy it. He wrote it out again. He sent so he sent the letters to scout officials and Bannockburn and Dunblane Primary. So, I mean, that's seeing them in basically. I mean, that would at the time they just thought he's a nutter. At Dunblane Primary, if if the head teacher receives this letter that he's written to the Queen saying, "Oh, everyone's against me. I'm not actually a paedophile," you're still not going to think he might come and shoot us. No, you'd just be like, "This guy's." office trolley 7th of March um, it was said that Hamilton had begun questioning the boys at the Dunblane Boys Club about timings of the school day logistics how do you get to the hall what time do they have assembly do all the classes go in for assembly and oh it's starting to get really graphic now so this is now the horrid bit yeah, I don't want to make any more jokes. It's so horrible. no jokes from here. I'm just going to get through this next bit. I feel chilled. So 13th of March, 1996, Hamilton drove to Dunblane Primary at 9.30am with four handguns and 700 rounds of ammunition. On arrival, he cut the telephone wires on a nearby pole and headed inside. He went to the hall where a class of five and six-year-olds were having PE and began shooting, first at the teachers, then at the children. He went into the corridor and fired at several others, then went back into the hall where he put the gun in his mouth and fired. 16 children died that day and one teacher. 17 other people were injured, including teachers that were shot several times while they attempted to shield the children. Okay, that's as much as I'm going to go into about the events of the day. Poor fucking children. The community was obviously devastated and lives had been absolutely destroyed and there was one... I mean, you can't even imagine, can you? It's just... There was one interview with, that re- I proper did a tear from this man whose wife had died two, three years before and he was saying how him and his daughter were companions, like they'd looked after each other through his time, they spent so much time together and then for her to then be shot, yeah. he had no one. I just thought it was awful. When so many people were affected, it's just... You send your child to school, you think they're safe. Every child that went to that school, every family that surrounds that, everyone who lived in that area, the hundreds of people that had been in these boys' clubs throughout the years and knew what he'd done. But the Queen did respond to this in the right way, and she visited Dunblane, where she too just openly cried about this, like one of the few times that the Queen would ever show him. And she's very stoic, isn't she? Yeah. So everyone was desperate to know why, because it it was just com- seemed completely out of the blue. I mean, it hadn't this sort of thing hadn't really happened, and why on earth would someone do this to children? And the Cullen report seems to conclude that Hamilton was not suffering from any mental illness, 
but potentially a sadistic personality disorder and they saying of his cruel and controlling behavior and they further evidence this by saying that he mistreated his adopted father apparently he would leave him outside at night uh, in the cold and then eventually let him in and he would not let him watch tv and force him to go and sit in his room and was really cruel to this old man the good to come out of this is the gun control situation. So the families and others joined and said, like, this cannot happen again, that someone can be allowed to do this. It's just so upsetting that it had to happen. For, I mean, people could... It's, you could, you could, Anyone could do something fucked up all the time, basically. It's just humanity that we don't. I mean, you don't... People just don't go around doing this, do you? But it's terrible that people are capable of this that so we have to have all these controls in and that it took something like this for you to think oh shit people are bad yeah but i mean yeah i mean i guess that's a good thing long term now yeah um so they began to protest against the current gun laws in the uk they called operation snowdrop and they petitioned thousands of people and they did that thing like on miracle on 34th street where they took all these boxes full of signatures into the houses of parliament and were like look at what people are saying here so they were successful initially in that handguns over 22 caliber were banned and then this was later revised because they continued and so smaller handguns were also banned so you can't own a handgun like fuck off with that yeah a little side note andy murray was at school at the Dunblane Primary, he went there. Really? World famous tennis player. He was eight years old at the time. He wasn't involved in the class. He knew that he'd like heard the shots, knew it was happening. Um, he also attended one of the boys' clubs run by Hamilton. Oh. And Judy Murray, his mum, like had given him lifts and stuff. Really? I mean, he doesn't really talk about it because you wouldn't, would you? But as far as he's, no, he's wouldn't. never openly said that there was any abuse or anything going on. But, but I mean, you wouldn't speak about, would you? So. He was a massive paedophile that flipped out, and is my conclusion. I don't think we're going to do a funny ending to this podcast because that is traumatising. Thanks, guys, for listening to episode 19, and we're really appreciating those of you who are supporting us by um, liking us on social media. Um, we're on Twitter, at Slaughter the Pod. We're on Facebook as well, as Apostrophe Laughter. You can join our group or you can follow us as a friend. Um, please continue to rate, review, subscribe. That really does help other people find us. Um, thank you so much to those of you who wanted to give a quick shout-out who are supporting us on Patreon as well. So thanks to these guys, Holly Andrew, Rebecca Pope, Jacob Hodge, Peter Falconer, Elizabeth Thurlow, Maggie, Lightning's Bane, Luke, Lorna Violet, Hayley Ellington, Laura Heathcock, Hannah Mabry, and Sandra Teeling. Thanks, guys. Take care. This week's podcast recommendation is for Court Junkie. Each week, Gillian delves into the court documents, attends trials, and interviews those close to the cases in order to help her tell their stories. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.